I'd like to talk about prayer. And I'd like to talk about power tonight and how those two meet. In our church, as I said earlier, we value prayer. Christians value prayer. There's tons of books about it. There's sermons about it. And I'd venture to guess that even many, if not all, of my sermons end with look to Jesus, be with Jesus, which really is prayer and relating to Jesus in those places of prayer. But I'd like to remind you that you're in a safe place, and though we value prayer, I need to ask you, do you struggle to pray? This is like prayers anonymous right now, okay? Hi, my name is Adam, and I struggle with prayer. And here's my story. No, we all struggle with prayer. And I think, if I also venture another guess, that you folks think that maybe I wake up at 4 a.m. every morning, even though I've got two children under three in the house and no office, and I just wake up, I pop up, and I just pray for like, I don't know, six or eight hours. And I'd love it if that was the truth and, and maybe shoot, I would be a lot more Jesus-like and awesome at preaching and stuff, but that's just not what happens. Now, I do pray every day and sit and think of you guys and look to Jesus, but I'll be very honest with you, it's work a lot of the days, and it's work to get 30 minutes. That's work. It's work to get 10. So you're in a safe place. Your pastor's saying, I struggle to pray a lot. It's okay. But I think when we look at prayer and we talk about prayer, and tonight we're going to see a prayer that Paul prays for Ephesians that's just as relevant for us today. If I were to boil down the three obstacles as to why we struggle to pray, I would probably start with this one, and it's that we overcomplicate it. We overcomplicate it because we think, we say, I want to make a New Year's resolution that I'm going to pray more, so I'm going to wake up way crazy early, and I'm going to fight to stay awake, and I'm going to pray, and when I pray, I've got to pray this way and that way and the other, and we overcomplicate it. So before we talk about prayer and Paul's prayer, we need to just put it out on the table and say one of the first obstacles of three that I'm about to give you is overcomplication. And I find Eugene Peterson's words in the introduction to the Psalms in the message translation really life-giving and an antidote to that first obstacle as to why we struggle to pray, which is overcomplication. Here's what Eugene Peterson says. We suppose that there must be an insider language that must be acquired before God takes us seriously in our prayer. I've been there. You've heard the old timers in the Baptist church, thee and thou and this and that. Well, he says there is not. Prayer is elemental, not an advanced language. It is the means by which our language becomes, watch, honest, true, and personal in response to God. It is the means by which we get everything in our lives out in the open before God. Prayer is the means by which we get everything in our lives out in the open before God. Before we look at Paul's prayer, we look at our prayers and say, what if it's not as difficult and complicated as we thought? What if prayer is much simpler than we thought? The second obstacle to, I think, why we struggle with prayer is simply that we just get 
distracted. We just get distracted, especially if you're waking up at 4 a.m. And I think that we can get distracted and we can get distracted not only if we wake up at 4 a.m., but when we start folding laundry or driving to work or being at work or all of a sudden we look up and we say, well, I haven't read my Bible today, I haven't prayed today. And then I think Dallas Willard offers us a lovely antidote to this second obstacle when he says, I believe the most adequate description of prayer is simply talking to God about what we are doing together. This is for the person that says, I just don't have time to pray. This is for the person that says, I'm too easily distracted. Dallas Willard says, what if you just talk to God about what we're doing together? So when you're in the car, and this is speaking directly to me, would you turn off the ticket sports radio station and maybe talk to God? And to use Eugene Peterson's quote we just read, in honest language, like you would talk to someone sitting in the seat next to you. This is in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, which is big and bad and awesome and probably one of the most influential books. But it's a pretty weighty. But really what he's describing here, if we look at another quote, was put a lot more simply several hundred years before by a guy named Brother Lawrence, who was a monk, in his book, The Practice of the Presence of God, which you need to get on Kindle. The Practice of the Presence of God, get it, it's cheap, it's awesome, it's short, it's readable. And he's a monk who was washing dishes in his monastery. And so as an antidote to this distraction, he says, or someone says rather of Brother Lawrence, prayer was nothing else but a sense of the presence of God. His soul being at that time insensible to everything but divine love. When we're driving in our car, we can be distracted. When we're waking up early, we can be distracted. But before we talk about Paul's prayer, look at our prayers and say, how aware of the presence of God are we when we're driving and washing dishes and doing this? That could be an antidote not only when we overcomplicate it, but when we get distracted. And to do a more contemporary uh, translation of Brother Lawrence as we look at our third obstacle. This is from Chuck Miller. And I'll tell you our obstacle first. My third obstacle, I said, not only overcomplication, distraction, and the third thing is this. Maybe we're just unaware of the power of prayer. Maybe we're just unaware of the power of prayer. So once we get it simplified, once we get the presence of God, Chuck Miller, who is a a friend of this church and who is basically the godfather of the journey retreats that several of us have done in California, he says this, prayer is not something you do, it is someone you are with. Prayer is not just something you do, it's someone you are with. And I wanted to spend time at this introduction before we look at our text again tonight. Because I think when we talk about prayer, we need to understand that it's okay when we overcomplicate it and we get distracted and we're unaware or maybe we say it's pointless. But I want us to start and remind you of this. Prayer is, as we see in these quotes, simpler than we think 
Number two, how we relate honestly to God. And number three, we're going to zero in on this one tonight, the primary way to know God. So if prayer is less something we do and more someone we're with, who is it that we're with? I'll tell you, it is the Almighty God who is powerful. And in the text we looked at and we're going to look at tonight, this presence and person is not only powerful, but He is with us and He fills us and all the church. And so Paul, in his great prayer that we look at in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, he prays and he's going to pray that they would actually know God. Paul's prayer is that they would know God and then know His power. Tonight, he's praying they'd know God and know His power. And my prayer for our church and us tonight when we start to find that prayer is simpler and it's powerful, my prayer for us tonight is that we would know God and His power. Because if prayer is the primary way to know God, prayer, watch, reminds us that power is among us and power is available to us in Christ. In Christ. If you've been around in Ephesians, you know those two little words are the key, the linchpin to everything in Paul's theology and everything about this letter. (coughs) Prayer reminds us that power is among us in Christ and power is available to us in Christ. Paul loves that phrase, in Christ, and he's writing to a group of believers in Ephesus and in the surrounding region. If you recall, Ephesians is a circular letter and it's making its way around the southwest region of Asia, which was a powerful, important, wealthy, multi-ethnic place that had the same distractions as we did, the same obstacles to prayer that we did. They would overcomplicate things because there were so many religions out in the world. They would get distracted because they worked and they were uh, in a different place scraping to get food, or if they were wealthy, they were distracted because they had income to spend. Have we been there? Maybe some of us are not. The poor folks are not nodding their heads. We've not been distracted because we got money to spend. They're also distracted because Ephesus, with its great big temple, and that region of Asia was filled with competing gods. So Paul prays for this church in Ephesus and all the Christians he's never met or never seen. And he opens up by saying, thank you God for these people. He's just rattled off the longest sentence in the New Testament, blessing God. Now he's going to thank God in prayer for these people. Some he's met, some he's never met. So he starts off with a thanksgiving. Tonight I'm going to read in the Common English Bible. That's what that C-E-B means up there, and that's why I've got this tiny little guy up here. Every week, I'm usually preaching in the NIV or maybe the NRSV, but I'm going to stick with the Common English Bible tonight because I think it gets the point, and it's close enough to uh, what Paul may be really getting at. It's not like so far like the message. It's pretty close to accurate, but also because there is such powerful language 
the common English Bible uses. So that's just a brief little side note. That's what the CEB means. So let's look. Let's stop talking about it and just look at it. Paul begins his prayer thanking, and he says, Since I heard about your faith in the Lord, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love for all God's people, this is the reason that I don't stop giving thanks to God for you when I remember you in my prayers. Paul had heard secondhand of these Christians he's never met. He's remembering also the Christians he has met in the city of Ephesus. And he thanks God because he remembers these people. So, I ask you, how often do you remember your family, your kids, your friends, your church members who have faith in the Lord Jesus and love for all God's people? How often do we remember them? How often does your friend or coworker or wife or grandfather, how often do they float by your head? Every day, always, right? Maybe not grandma, but goodness, what would it look like if we were like Paul and didn't stop giving thanks to God for these people when he remembers you? Paul says, when I remember you in my prayers, what if, to use what we were talking about earlier, when you're driving to work and you're thinking about the people you're going to see that day and their image, their, their, their uh, face floats through your brain, what if you thanked God for them? What if you took it a step further and asked God to work in their lives? I would encourage you, as we look at prayer and these obstacles, this is very practical, by the way. This is a very practical night. I would encourage you to maybe pray this way. That Chuck Miller that we referenced earlier put this on my radar and it has revolutionized the way I pray for you all. And it really just boils down to four words and many of you have heard them. First, thank you. This is what Paul is doing here. Thank you. I'm thanking God when I remember you. That's the first two words. I told you there was four. The next two words are would you. Thank you, would you. When we remember our friends, families, coworkers, much like Paul, does it lead us to thank God? I would encourage you as you're driving to work, as you're going through, if you struggle with prayer, what if you boiled it down to four words? Thank you, God, for Amy. Thank you that she loves me unconditionally. Thank you that she read scripture tonight. She did such a wonderful job. And then secondly, would you? God, would you give her strength this day and patience and would you be very near to her? That's it. Amen. See you guys later. We've got more to go. Paul just rattled off his thank you. Up next in verses 17 and 18, if Paul could pray anything for these believers, some he's met, some he hasn't, what would his two would yous be? What follows is a prayer, a would you, for these believers then, but it's just as relevant for us today. Let's look at it, beginning in verse 17. Here's his would you. I pray, God, would you? He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will what? Give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation 
Spirit there is a way of knowing something deep in your bones, something that's not just up here, but it's something that's just the way of being, the way about you. He prays for the Ephesians and the Christians he's never seen that the Father will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation, not just so you know some neat things about God, but watch, that makes God known to you. I love that. Has God made himself known to you? Because here's the thing. God knows you. Has he made himself known to you? Do you know God? For so many years of my life, especially as a Bible student and professional Christian, God help me, I felt like I was stalking Jesus. I felt like I just, he was some neat, lofty guy, and I had his t-shirt when everybody had Jesus as my homeboy, and I had, you know, music about him, and I was reading books about him, and I was sometimes reading my Bible and sometimes praying, and I was always in Bible studies learning stuff about Jesus, stalking him. Oh, but the difference when I felt like he was made known to you. That is something Paul prays for because it's something we must receive. God gives it a spirit of wisdom and revelation and we must, Lord willing, receive it to not just know about God but know God because just knowledge puffs up but the kind of knowing that is in your bones that's the spirit of wisdom that God gives us is the kind of knowledge that doesn't puff up but it lifts us up and into the presence and it happens in prayer. Because when we're busy going and busy doing Bible studies and we're busy doing all this stuff, if we don't stop and let God make himself known to us, then we're just stalking Jesus, aren't we? We're just stalking God the Father of glory. We're just stalking the Holy Spirit. But lest you think that you need to overcomplicate it or you're distracted or you're unaware that God will actually answer prayers, I remind you prayer is simpler than you think and power is available to us in Jesus and power is among us currently. So that's his first prayer, his first would you, right? It's a prayer of knowing that we would know God intimately, not just stalk him. And that is all the difference. Prayer makes God known to us. It's simpler than we think. That's a prayer of knowing God. The second, would you, the second thing he prays for, and why I love the common English Bible, because we just say, hey, number two, I pray. He says this in verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart will have enough light to see. Okay? I love the common English Bible there. I pray that you'll have the eyes of your heart, this is again is something inward, something in our being, will have enough light to see. The first was a prayer for knowing. This is a prayer for seeing. What does he want us to see? Three things. Watch them with me. I pray that the eyes of your heart will have enough light to see, number one, what is the hope of God's call? This is on the next slide. What is the richness of God's glorious inheritance among believers? And what is number three? The overwhelming greatness of God's power that is working among whom? Us. 
Paul has in mind the us of Ephesus and the us of the Christians he's writing this to. But guess who the us is? Guess who Jesus is with today? Us, us. He prays that we would see the hope. He prays that we'd see the inheritance that we talked about the last two weeks. All the things that God has blessed us. If we would get it, we could live it. If we could get the unseen stuff, we can live the seen life, forgiven, restored, empowered. If we get it, we can live it. He wants us to see this, to get it. And the third thing, the overwhelming greatness of God's power. Did you notice that phrase here? Twice in this section we have on the screen. Among believers. Where's the inheritance? Among believers. Where now is God's power? Among us believers. Paul prays that we would know God, that God would make himself known to us, and then he prays that we would let enough light in to see hope, inheritance, and thirdly, power. Would you flip to 2 Corinthians 4.6? Flip or swipe. I didn't think about we would do this, so it's not on the screen. Let enough, 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 let enough night in, no, let enough light in, look at 2 Corinthians 4.6. What happens when we let light in? God said that light should shine out of the darkness. He is the same one who shone in our hearts. Does this sound familiar to what we just read in Ephesians? He's the same one who shone in our hearts to give us what? The light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. In Christ. Light leads to knowledge. He's shown the light, but would we keep the door open? How do we keep the door open to let the light in? In prayer. But lest you think it's too complicated or you're distracted or you're unaware of its power or pointless, he reminds us, if we let that light in, we'll see hope, inheritance, and thirdly, power. Now, the problem is, too many of us are unaware of God's power that is working among us believers. And here's how I am unaware of that power when I pray. I want to be very careful so often to say, well, Lord, whatever, your will be done. I also struggle to sing the words we just sang. Oh my God, you will not delay my refuge and strength. He says, oh my God, you will come through. Your promise is true. My God will come through always. I just butchered that song. Apologies to Mr. Christian Stanfield. I struggle to sing that because I think even as I'm praying, and if you're like me, it's okay. I told you this is prayer anonymous. It's okay. If you're like me, you wonder, yeah, but God, really? Really will you? And if I'm really brutally honest with you, what happens when he doesn't? Or rather, what happens when he doesn't in the way I asked? But the thing we need to keep before us and what Paul is praying for these believers and for us today is that God's 
power is among us and available to us. And prayer not only transforms the world and people around us, watch, you know what I'm about to say, many of you, it also transforms us. This week I had an EPC, you know an EPC, that weird language for our pastors, leaders, and for, by the way, anybody else who has a free day wants to come with me, let's go. We go and we spend four to five hours in solitude, and yes, it's hard, I struggle with that too, since we're still in Prayers Anonymous, but once a month we try to get out to an EPC, an extended personal communion, and we try to sit still, shut up, and just try to let some light in, like Paul prayed to be aware that God is still at work among us. And this week, it was before I got the news from Aaron and Amanda, Wednesday afternoon, and I'll tell you that I had a lot of stress. You guys know this. I have a lot of things that are, are really some seemingly inconsequential, but I've got something broken where I just can't process a lot of this stuff. So I sat and I shut up and I tried to let some light in. And I'll tell you that not everything was fixed. Not everything was solved. I didn't get the magic bullet answers. But let me tell you this. I felt pulled back to the center. I felt after several hours of letting some of the light in, even if God didn't give me everything I asked, even if I struggled to believe that he would come through always, even if I struggled to believe that his power was at work among us in this church or in my life, let me tell you, our home is God in Christ and prayer is the pathway back home. Our home is God in Christ and prayer is the pathway home. This week when we called on you church to pray because power is among us and available to us, this week when we were diligent to pray, we go to God and we are honest with our fears, with our mess, with our struggles, and we cry out, I believe but help my unbelief. But if we would go to him, we would see that our reality is that Jesus Christ is among us. And so then we see in this last section of Paul's prayer, he's asked for us to know God, and he's asked for us to have enough light to see God's work, but then he gets off on this other awesome part of the sentence where he just starts riffing on God's power to remind us that when we pray, this power is at work among us. Let's look as we close our time. This power... God's power working among us, this power is conferred by the energy of God's powerful strength. Isn't it a good thing that when you're not strong enough, it's okay, God has all the strength in the world? Isn't that good news? And so the power in us is not something we've got to muster up. The power among you when you go to pray, the power among you that you need when you're in crisis, you don't have to muster it up. God has got enough, and he loves to lavish it on us. Lavish, that beautiful word we looked at in the last couple weeks. He ain't just lavishing grace, he's lavishing power. So verse 20, God's power was at work in Christ. When God raised him from the dead, he didn't just raise him from the dead, he rose him up and set him at God's right side in the heavens. He is the triumphant, risen king. And just so we're clear, verse 21, where is he sitting? Far above every ruler and authority. And watch how many times this 
word says power. Far above every ruler and authority and power and angelic power and any power that might be named not only now but in the future. Hey Ephesians, you're familiar with power. You're an incorporated seat where Rome demonstrates its power that you can see. Also, if that's not enough power for you, there's this big old temple that's the seventh wonder of the world, and you're familiar with Artemis' so-called power, aren't you? And if you can't see her, but you can see her temple, just so we're clear, all the other demonic, or here it says angelic powers, just in case you're clear, every power you cannot see, Ephesians, Those powers that are at work causing chaos and sickness and doubt and darkness and assault. All of these powers that we want to ignore, just in case you're clear, he seated them not only above Rome, not only above Artemis or any of the other pretend gods. He has set Jesus Christ, the risen and victorious king, above every demonic power that wants you. He's set him above every other power. God's power is stronger than these powers. And just in case you thought it was just for the Ephesians, he says, no, not only for all the powers now, but any power that might be named in the future. So that's good news for us too. Because God is still powerful, and we're still the church And God's power is not only working in us, it was working in Christ, but just in case he wants to bring it back full circle and bring it back to us and say, hey, hey, also, let me, I forgot you, I started riffing on Jesus, but here's the deal. God put everything under Christ's feet. He put everything, it's a footstool, it's psalm language, he put everything under Christ's feet. Sin, death, Satan, it's all done. They just don't know it. It's going to come. It's done now in principle. It's going to come in power at the end of this age. We just got to wait. God put everything under Christ's feet and made him head of everything in the church. Oh, that's such good news for me and Bud. You don't even know. Oh, man. What is the church? Paul tells us, which is his body. Oh, that's nice. Body. Well, he's going to explain that even further. His body, the church, yeah, we got that, thank you, is what? Church, stay awake to this. Little old ordinary us, dwarfed in this massive auditorium, is full of Christ. The body here, the body there, the body that meets before us for an hour, The church is the fullness of Christ. You want to know what Jesus is like? Look to the Gospels. God help us. The world is looking to us. Jesus has made it so that he fills us. We're his body. He is filling us. And in Colossians, another great letter of Paul's, he says the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily in Christ. So we've got so much God power, it's not even funny. And he doesn't only fill the church, 
He says he fills everything in every way. There is not a stretch of earth where Jesus doesn't say, mine, my kingdom shall have no end. And it may not look like it right now, but this church, this body is supposed to go out and announce the reign of King Jesus, the reigning risen Lord, raised by God's power. And we ought to announce that in the same power that not only raised Jesus, but empowers us to go and announce that. Did you catch all that? Not only is Christ in us, I'll put it this way, we're in Christ, and that's good news. So in prayer, when we are so unaware that the things we're asking for could even be a blip on God's radar, He has made His Son fill ordinary us. And when I struggle to pray and to muster up the words, when God's power is enough, The Holy Spirit also, it says in Romans, groans with intercessions too deep for words. And when things don't go the way I ask and want, I trust the Spirit of God is groaning and grieving. And if not now, we know that the train will reach the last stop in the end. And if not now, then... And if that's not enough, maybe we should pray with Paul that we would let enough light in to see the hope of his call, to see the inheritance that awaits us, and to see today, presently, the power among us. Prayer and power are so linked and so interwoven, it's the way we know God and his power. And that's what we'll look at as we close. Just to reiterate it again, because this is on the slide. Prayer reminds us that power right now is among us and power is available to us. This power is ours. It's given to us. We don't have to muster it up. We have to be awake to it, to come home to it. So as we pray, as we come to the table, could we believe that He can work powerfully and would we ask Him to work powerfully? Jesus, I believe you can, and I'm asking you to do it. Prayer transforms us in the world. It's among us. It's available to us. Will we just let in the light and recognize that Christ is in us, filling us? And we remember that as we come to the table. Remember his body broken for us, the blood shed for us, And tonight, maybe we also pay attention to the power at work among us, which was the same that raised Jesus from the dead. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would continue to pray. I pray that you would just liberate many of us in here from thinking we're not doing it right. Lord, I don't think about talking to Amy. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I overthink it. But Lord, would we know you and love you enough and be loved by you enough to where we can talk, pour it out honestly and in fear, and when we don't have the strength, will we find our strength in you? So Lord, there's so much right now that we're believing you can do. Heal, give, work. So we're asking according to your perfect plan that you are working out actively in our midst. We just pray that your will would be done.
your kingdom would come in our church, in our families, as you would have it in heaven. Bless us as we come to the table, and bless us this week as we come to you through your word together and in prayer together. We love you. Thank you so much. Amen.